The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Well, uh, if you uh, have a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your chairs. And uh, if you don't have one and you want to use that one and want to take it with you, take it with you. That's our gift to you, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, <clears throat> we've been in 1 Thessalonians for a while now, and we're going to continue to be in there. We're going to jump to uh, chapter 4. We concluded chapter 3 last week, and we uh, talked about what love looks like, right? And so this week, we're going to continue in into chapter 4, and let's begin reading in verse 1. See how far we get. Here we go. Verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Stop right there. That's where we're going to be today. All right. We got a whole verse today. All right. Good job. Uh, So let's break that down. Let's walk through this together. Uh, He says, finally. All right. So this letter is taking a turn. The first three chapters, um, he is uh, uh, giving them uh, some encouragement and and, 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 and he's he's, uh, he's thanking thanking God for their faithfulness. And, and so uh, what he's doing, he's taking a turn here, and, and, and we're going to turn to more direct teaching and instruction on how they should be living uh, their lives. And so he continues, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, all right? So as he's talking about uh, instructing their lives, he's saying in the Lord Jesus. So this isn't our moral opinions, all right? This isn't our spiritual bullying to say, act like us or you aren't following Jesus. No, no, no. We're telling you truth, all right? What we're about to tell you, this is the Lord Jesus speaking to you, all right? This isn't what we get a lot of the times in our churches, which is, what I, it's, it's just spiritual bullying. It's saying that this right here, this is the moral code that I've set up. If you don't live by it, then you aren't, uh, you aren't living right. And it's just not true, right? I don't believe that if you go to Disney World that you're supporting gay marriage, all right? And, and those are things that in our churches are taught and it's just spiritual bullying. It's not truth. And so they're saying, look, I'm not trying to put my personal preferences on you. I'm not trying to put the way that I live on you. I'm just trying to tell you truth. All right. This is from the Lord Jesus. This is a holy thing we're talking about. And there's a holy motivation behind it. And so he continues that as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing. All right. So he's saying that you remember what we've shown you and how to live a life that's pleasing to God and you're living in that way. And then he says this, that you do so more and more. So he's saying, keep going, all right? Keep living a life that's pleasing to God and keep growing. Now the implication here is that number one, we've not arrived. That this is a process, right? This is an absolute process. It's interesting to me, we're going to explore this more next week, that when the Apostle Paul uses an analogy to talk about the Christian life, he uses a, an Olympic uh, race. He uses a grueling marathon, right? It's a, it's a grueling, uh, long process. And, and even towards the end of his life, he says, look, I, I haven't arrived. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has 
has called me in Christ Jesus. And so uh, uh, we see that we've not arrived, and, and this is a process we're all in. And you, let me just say this to you. I don't care how old you get, how long you follow Jesus, you will nev- there, there's, there's never a difference between Christians. There are never pro-Christians and amateur Christians, all right? You will never finally arrive. You'll never say, that's it. I got this Jesus thing. I'm an expert, right? There's no, there is no pro-Christian. There's no amateur Christian. And a lot of times it's hard for us to differentiate uh, or, or to, excuse me, to understand that there, there is no difference between us in, in that way because we admire teachers, we admire authors, and, and it's hard for me to think about some of my favorite authors and theologians as being like me, as pressing on toward a goal, as, as they continue to struggle against that sinfulness in themselves. But the reality is we're all in this together. We're all on this process together. We press on. We have not arrived. The second thing that this implies is that as you remain faithful following God, He continues to grow you and change you. Now, this is a process called sanctification. We're going to talk about this more and more in the coming weeks. But the thing I want you to to pick up on is that if you're a believer, this process is not just a process you go through to reach, uh, uh, just to go through. Like, hey, I'm a Christian, so I got to go through this process, right? No, no, no. This process is a process of of changing. You're going to grow and change and develop as a believer, right? Uh, I think about it like this. If you've been a follower of God longer than five years, uh, think about where you were five years ago. Think about the spiritual truths you didn't understand then that you understand now. Think about uh, some sort of fruit of the Spirit that was barely budding in you five years ago, and as you followed God, now it is alive, right? And it it is well, and, and, and it's flourishing. Just think about how faithful God has been to us as we are on this path. Reflect on how good He's been to us. And we're going to look more and more at sanctification in the next few weeks, but I want to deal with the phrase here in this verse that jumped off the page at me. And one of the things that I'm thankful about God leading us through a book of the Bible like this is because it's, it's making me deal with and making you deal with, because I'm going to preach on these things, with things that I normally wouldn't spend time on. And so this thing kind of just got me right in the face, all right? So look back at that verse and, and see, see what uh, phrase right there might jump off the page at you. Maybe it's the same as what jumped off at me. Look, look at what he says. You receive from us... How you ought to walk and to please God. And I stopped and I went to please God. So, you, so we walk and we please God. And what does he say about pleasing God? He says, you're doing it now and you need to do it more. This bothered me. This really bothered me. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, all right? Like, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. I grew up in a very small country church named Bellevue Baptist Church, all right? And we had a mediocre pastor. And, uh, and so as I grew up there, I heard things like this. And, and I'm, not, I'm, not giving, I'm not quoting Adrian Rogers because I'm not sure if he's ever said this or not. But I'm just saying I grew up hearing things like this, um, that God could never be more pleased with you than he is now. That because you are a follower of Jesus, you put a big old smile on God's face and He is fully pleased in you. You don't have to pursue pleasing God. He is pleased in you. Just sit there and just enjoy it. Doesn't that sound nice? That sounds nice. That makes me feel good. That's what I grew up with. I'm comfortable with that. I don't want to think about it any different than that. But it brought up so many questions here. 
I thought that God was pleased with me, right? But, but they're doing it and they need to do it more. Does, does this mean that he's not pleased with me? Does this mean I have a responsibility to keep pleasing him? Well, let's unpack this idea together. And that's what I want to do today. What does it mean? What does it mean that we can, we can please God? It means this. That your actions, my actions, the attitude of my heart and the way that I live can either please God or even displease God. It can either bring him pleasure or it can displease him. Let me prove it to you. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So what, is, what does pleased mean? Let's just define it. Well, it's simple. To give enjoyment, pleasure, satisfaction, to make glad, alright? And so the reality is we can walk in a manner or we can live in such a way, make decisions that will please God or not please God. But why does this idea make us so uncomfortable? Does that make you uncomfortable? It made me extremely uncomfortable when I started exploring this idea. It made me uncomfortable that I can please God and that I, I can displease God. That God can look at me, see an attitude of my heart, or see some action I take, and it can displease Him. That bothered me. And here's why it bothered me, and here's why it's probably bothering you right now. Because what you've done in your mind is that you have, you have equated pleasure with love. And, and here's the reality. Pleasure does not determine love. I'll give you an example. I love my kids, all three of them. There's not a single thing in this world that could make me not love them. Will every decision they make please me? Absolutely not. My son is two years old right now. And two-year-olds are amazing, all right? They are constantly doing things, all right? And, they do, and, and they're always full of surprises. The other night, uh, my wife got my son out of the bathtub and put him in his bedroom and she was going to put his diaper on him and, and, and get him ready for bed and, and she left the diaper downstairs and I was uh, holding a baby or two or doing something probably super important. Uh, I, was, I was reading. That's what I was doing. But anyway, so she decided I'll just shut the door and run downstairs real quick and grab a diaper and come back up. Well, in the time that she had gone downstairs to get a diaper, Max just couldn't hold it any longer and so he made a decision. That if I don't have a diaper, probably the next best thing is to just back up to the wall and press myself against it and just let it, let it rip right there. And so Angela yells from upstairs, Grant, do you know what your son just did? Now, if you ever hear the your son, it's not good, all right? Now, in that moment, my wife loved, loved and loves our son. Was she pleased? No. Was I? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't train that. All right. So the reality is, the reality is he can be pleased by the things that we do. He can be pleased. He can be displeased by the things that we do. But his love for you is secure because it's not secured in you. It's secured in himself. 
His love for us is secure, Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love for us is secured where? In Christ Jesus, not in you. His forgiveness is secured in himself. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His presence is secured. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I don't want us to get confused as we talk about the pleasure of God in us. I don't want us to equate that with his love. Because his love, his forgiveness, his presence is secured in himself. And he is unchanging. He is unchanging. So let's continue with this idea. So although we are secured in his love, secured forgiveness, secured with his presence, every decision we make has the potential to please God or not to please God. Some of you might say, well, can I just make a decision that's neutral? That the motivation is just absolutely neutral? I'm kind of dumb. I don't think a lot, right? Like, can I make a decision that's, that's completely neutral? There's no motivation. And the reality is no. Every decision we make comes out of some sort of motivation to please someone. Just plain and simple, it does. And I want us to identify real quick the two alternatives. If we're not going to please God, our two alternatives, I want to look at the dangers they bring. Number one, living to please ourselves. Now this is incredibly natural, right? As infants, the world literally revolves around you. Everything, everything has to do with taking care of you, right? When you're a toddler, you have to learn to share. The first thing my son said when he saw me holding uh, my daughter is, My daddy! And he immediately was just angry, right? And so you have to learn to share. As an adult, we become extremely territorial, right? And eventually you end up in a rocking chair yelling at kids to get off your lawn, right? Like that's just, right? We become very territorial. Now, the danger in living this way is that when we live only to please ourselves, we begin to reject truth for our preferences, You begin to become a lover of yourself, which is a lover of your preferences and not a lover of truth. 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, will not endure truth, but have itching ears that, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, right? So we reject the truth that we're woefully lost without God and that to be truly happy, we must sacrifice ourselves and therefore we start to seek things like our best life now. Now, or we start to see things that are self-help uh, in that self-help arena. We start to reject the truth uh, that everyone bears the image of God and therefore deserves respect and that Christ has called us to serve first rather than to be served. And so we begin to reduce human beings and devalue them as we love ourselves first. I was listening to an interview with two men, uh, Peter Beard um, and Richard, uh, I can't even begin to pronounce his last name, so I'm not going to try. These two men uh, were in Savo, Africa for many years. One was a photographer and one was a, an activist for animal rights. And these two men um, completely live to please themselves. And I, and I know that by the statements they made. Here's what they said. They said that um, it was a shame what was happening in Africa because there were so many people... Uh, there was, the population was growing so rapidly that the countryside was being uh, torn apart by, uh, by construction. 
And so they said that the human touch is like a disease. They said that when they first got there, the population was 5.5 million and it had grown to 40 million. Listen to this statement. Listen to this. It's an educated human being saying this. AIDS is really a density-dependent phenomenon. The more of it, the better, frankly. Kenya is now way over 40 million from 5.5 million. The more of it, the better. Why? Because I like the way the country looks without them. Quite frankly, that's their argument. Now this is a shocking, shocking statement. I literally could not finish the interview. I had to turn it off. And I, just, I couldn't process what I just heard. It was so shocking, right? Now listen, I'm not saying that you're going to say something like that, but don't we start, stop seeing people, when we stop seeing people as image bearers of God and, 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 and stop seeing them as valuable, don't we mostly see people as nuisances and hindrances as they affect our lives? For example, do you see the cop that just gave you the ticket as you were late to work? Do you see them as an image bearer, someone with value, or are they a nuisance? The lady in front of you at Walmart who insists on writing a check even though it's 2012, do you see her as an image bearer of God with value or a nuisance. Your neighbor who leaves their garbage can on the curb for a solid week can't just pull it up their driveway once, right? Is that person, that's me by the way, is that person a nuisance or are are they valued? Are they an image bearer? And we begin to reject that God uses each of us to challenge each other because I don't want to be challenged. I don't want truth. I want preference. And so we love ourselves over truth. We reject that God uses each of us to confront sin in one another's lives. And so we, we learn how to skirt around topics. We learn to keep our relationship shallow or, or, or we get angry or defensive when someone brings truth to us because I don't love truth. I love myself and I love my preferences. And when we live that way, when when you live to please yourself, you reject truth every time. The second thing, we live to please ourselves or probably more, more commonly maybe, we live to please others. That's extremely co- common. Think about it like this, whether maybe it's manifested that we want to conform to the way, uh, the, to, to what others deem is uh, attractive or successful. I remember um, in middle school, high school, something or other, uh, there was a really popular boot out. And it was by Timberland was the was the uh, the brand. Now uh, my parents are wonderful people, um, but my parents didn't want to uh, go into super debt just trying to buy the latest and greatest fad uh, that came out. So my mom took me to Walmart, and she bought me uh, Walmart Timberlands, if you will, right? And so we got to school, and the thing about Timberlands was the only thing I wanted was there was a tree on the side. That was their logo. If you didn't have that tree, it wasn't legit, and you weren't legit, all right? And so I wanted that tree. So my mom bought me these shoes. They didn't have the tree on it. So the next day in school, I spent every, it was the most productive day I ever had in school. I spent every class period, like I was in jail, with a, uh, with a paper clip that I unfolded, and I carved a Timberland tree in the side of my shoes. Best work I've ever done. It was fantastic. Unfortunately, college didn't care that I applied to, but... Uh, but I, I, I did everything I could to try to conform to what people thought was attractive or successful. Maybe sometimes we stretch truth and we lie because the real story didn't sound interesting enough and we want to be interesting to other people. I have a scar right here on my arm. When people ask me about it, uh, there are all kinds of stories that immediately pop to my head that are a lot cooler than what actually happened. A puppy bit me, right? 
So sometimes maybe we stretch the truth, right? He was vicious, vicious little puppy, all right? Maybe you regularly hold resentment towards someone because maybe they pressured you to do something or, or you didn't want to do and, and, and you didn't want to be an outsider, so, so you, you did it anyway, right? We, we live to please other people. What's the danger here? Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. It's a trap. It's a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap that it traps you in a lie that if I'm obedient to other people and if I'm obedient to what they want, then I'll be loved. And if I'm loved by them because of my obedience, then I'll be satisfied. And living to please others only leads us to what? It leads us to fear. It leads us to anxiety. If I'm not good enough, then I won't be loved. If I'm not obedient enough to what they want, then I'm not going to be loved. It leads us to disappointment because the result you wanted doesn't come. You could, people just don't love perfectly. You could clock in early and clock out late every day. You could bring your boss Starbucks every single day and you might still get passed over for that promotion. Maybe the result you wanted you finally get but it doesn't satisfy. Maybe you finally go further in that relationship than you wanted to go. Maybe you sleep with that person and then that person leaves. Or maybe, uh, or maybe you, you finally get that promotion you want and all you want is the next promotion. Right? Living to please others ultimately what it does is it simply drowns out the voice of God with the voice of other people. And it leads us to places of despair. I think about Elijah. Elijah had just made this, had this amazing spiritual victory, right? Conquering the prophets of Baal, calling fire down from heaven and then putting them to death. But then the queen threatens him. Now I think if anyone else had threatened him at that point, he would have said, fire from heaven, you're, you're toast, right? But no, 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 this was the queen. She, she had honor. Like, I want it. No, 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 I need to listen to her. Everybody else does. Her, what, what she thinks matters. She's the queen. And so what happened? He ignored the voice of God. And he only heard her voice. And what happened? Elijah ran for his life. And he ended up sitting under a tree and despairing. When we live to please others, we drown out the voice of God. And the only place it leads us to is despair. There's so much danger in these two options. Pleasing ourselves or pleasing others. But here's the reality. We all do it. We all do it. We all live to please ourselves at some point. We all live to please others at some point. So what does this tell us about ourselves? Here's what it says about us. Though we're loved, though we're children of God now, in our very nature, we are idolaters. We are idolaters. What are idols? What is an idolater? There's someone who, who, who gives attention to, who lives to please an object or a person, believing that, 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 that by being obedient to that person, to that object, that I'll receive truly only what God can provide. I'll receive love and I'll receive peace and hope and joy and freedom and forgiveness and acceptance. That's an idol. And the reality is, you are what you please. You are what you live to please. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. What that means is that whatever you serve, whatever you live to please, that is your idol. That is where your heart is. That is where your life is. And we are idolaters. How do we stay focused 
as God pleasers and not people pleasers? How do we stay focused as, as a God worshiper and not a people worshiper? How do we stay focused as a God follower and not a me follower? And the answer is found in, I believe, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your affections, Christians. Guard your affections. What steals your affection from God? What begins to entice you and begins to, 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 to whisper that lie into your ear that, that you'll find love here, you'll find peace here, you'll be accepted here? And, and identify those things and remove those things. Maybe they're material possessions. Maybe they're relationships. Uh, maybe, maybe it's even something stupid like, like sports fandom. Maybe it's something like, like some sort of music that's just, just slowly pulling your heart away, your, your focus away, your affections away from who, uh, from who God is. But what, the, the, the inverse of that and the question we need to ask equally as important is what stirs my affection for Jesus? And you run to those things. I think about things like, obviously, when I'm in the Word of God, it stirs my affection for Jesus. I think about when I sing spiritual songs, it stirs my affection for Jesus. But I think, you know, when I, when I spend a, a night with friends and eat a good meal with Christian friends, it stirs my affection for Jesus. When I give my family the attention they deserve, it stirs my affection for Jesus. And so guard your affections and start to identify the things that are whispering those lies to you, pulling your heart away and eliminate those. Push them away from you and draw close to the things that stir your affection. Again, we wouldn't have such a big issue with all of this if we weren't idolaters at our core. But because we are idolaters at our core, you can't say this. I can't say to you, stop pleasing yourselves and others and start pleasing God. Because the reality is your mind is still works like an idolater's mind. And if I tell you to do that, it's only going to lead you down a different road of despair. Why? Because idolaters are obedient to gain what they don't have. Whereas we as believers are obedient to, because of what we already have gained. Another way of saying this, idolatry starts with obedience, hoping that it produces love, while pleasing God starts with love and produces obedience. So the way our idolatrous mind deals with the idea to please God is to say this, well that's simple, I'll just, I'll read my Bible more and I'll pray more and that'll be, I'm good, that'll please God. And so maybe you'll do that and then you'll have a good day and you'll say, well that's great, I guess I read my Bible enough, I guess God was pleased, I guess I receive his love now because I, I read my Bible enough. Or maybe you'll have a bad day and you'll hear someone say this and I've heard people say this, they'll say, well I guess you just weren't prayed up today. I guess you weren't living right then. Thinking that, that that's an idolatrous mindset. That if I'm obedient enough, it'll lead to love. And this is an idolatrous mind. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We need to change the way we think. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't say it the other way around. He didn't say, if you keep my commandments, you will love me. No, no, he says, if you love me. You will keep my commandments. The rich young ruler proved that the opposite could not be true. He kept his commandments better than anybody else did, so he claimed. And yet, his heart was far from God. 
And so you say, well, okay, so it starts with love. Is, does obedience matter? Absolutely, obedience matters. But only after your motivation is correct. If you love me, obey my commandments. So what is our proper motivation? It goes back to the things we said earlier that we can be sure of. His love for me is secured. Motivation. His presence with me is secured. Motivation. His forgiveness for me is secured. Motivation. Don't those things promote in you a desire to please God? To know that I am loved by God regardless of who I am, but because of who He is, that motivates me. I want to please Him. To know that no matter where I go, what I face, He's with me, that motivates me to please Him and grab a hold of Him. To know that He's waiting to help me and give me grace and mercy in my time of need. I want to please that God. That's our motivation. That, that is what produces our obedience. And I can sum up our proper motivation as we seek to please God in two words. The cross. Remembering the cross properly motivates me to please God. Let me prove it to you. Colossians says that exalting Jesus pleases God. I'm motivated to make Jesus famous because with his finished work I have his hope. Being generous to those in need pleases God. I'm motivated to be generous to other people because God was abundantly generous to me to give me all things in His Son. I'm motiv- it, it pleases God when I forgive others. And I'm motivated to forgive others because the sacrifice of Jesus has forgiven me completely. It, it, it pleases God that I submit to authority. And I could submit to any authority that God's placed over me because uh, Jesus submitted to the authority of the Father so perfectly on the cross that it brought me life. And so if Jesus can, can submit to the Father and the Father didn't disappoint Him but was faithful and raised Him back from the dead, then I can joyfully, willingly be obedient because of that motivation. We should live every single day to please God because of the cross. How do we protect the proper motivation and not be trapped by our idolatrous thinking? Colossians 3.2 I think holds a key for us. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Look at that. Set your minds. That's a willful focusing of our minds. Set your minds on the cross of Jesus Spend time in the Word and read about His love for you. Meditate on the Scriptures and think about His love for you. Dream about His love for you. Sing about the cross of Jesus. Yesterday, I was in the shower and I was singing about the cross of Jesus. If they gave Grammys away for anyone who's ever sang in my shower, I still wouldn't win one, but... I sang at the top of my lungs. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. So if I encounter someone who hates me, who could spit in my face, who could mock me, even seek to take my life. I'm motivated to please God and to show kindness to them. Because on the cross, I was shown the ultimate kindness. Very simply, the beginning of pleasing God 
is to enjoy the cross of Jesus and display that enjoyment. Let me close with this verse. First Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see what this says here? It doesn't say that if you declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That then you will be his chosen race. That then you will be his royal priesthood. That then you will be a holy nation and a people of his own possession. No, it says you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. And so that you will go now and proclaim from that motivation, from that love, you will proclaim His excellencies. You will tell the world of His love because you've experienced it, you've lived it, you've tasted it, and you can tell people that it is good. So our motivation to please God is God. Our motivation to please Him with our thoughts and our actions and our hearts is is our experience with Him. Our experience with His love. It's His cross. It's what He's done for us. I'm going to call Matt up. We're going to respond with a song real quick. Um, so let me, let me pray for us as we go into this time of response. Lord Jesus, I pray that this message was freeing to many as it was to me. That God, I don't, I don't live um, to simply be obedient to find love. But instead, I, I enjoy your love. I experience your love. And that produces my obedience. God, thank you for setting it up that way. Thank you for designing it that way. So God, I pray for, for the believers in this room. We still fight every day. We fight the flesh in us. And we fight that idolater in us. God, help us. Help us to daily set our minds on you. To daily set our minds on the finished work of the cross. So that we would live not to please ourselves, not to please others. Both of those only lead to despair. We know that. But that we would live to please the one who in his son gave us all things. So God, I pray that if there are those of us in this room who we have lived a week of idolatry, we've lived a week of pleasing others, pleasing ourselves, that right now we would repent of that, we would turn from that, and we would turn to you, turn to your cross. God, there are those in this room also, I'm sure. I'm sure there are those in this room that they've been living their whole life to be obedient, hoping that one day they'd earn your love. God, release them today. Release them of the shackles of that lie. Today would they understand and realize that your love for them is complete. And what you want more than their obedience is their heart. <laughs>
You want their lives. You want their affections. So God, I pray today they'd they'd just stop and they'd surrender to you. Maybe, maybe for the first time. So Jesus, my prayer is that you move freely through this room and do what you want to do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand and sing? And I encourage you to respond however God's called you to respond. If you need to come forward and pray or need to come forward and and talk and have someone pray with you, then you do that. If you need to kneel, lay down, go hug somebody, you respond how God's called you.